Hi everyone, this is Joshua Hoffman and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and discuss a few things they learned along the way. Today I have Carl Rowling, the CEO of Leadbird, a B2B lead generation platform focused on connecting business service providers with brand new businesses in real time. Welcome, Carl. Great to be here, Josh. Thank you. So I, I asked you right before we started if I'm allowed to bring up uh, the lawyer stuff, um, which honestly is one of my favorite topics to ask. We'll call it ex-lawyers because um, I love finding out why they got out of the legal world and everything like that. So um, my question to open up is, uh, you know, what made you want to leave the legal world and, and get into marketing? So while I was working as a lawyer, I did a lot of uh, M&A work. And uh, one of the clients that we were working on was called the globe.com, which was a community chat um, uh, service, which is almost uh, in the simplistic form, like a hosted place where people that have similar interests um, get together. They were 24, 25 year old kids. And I was 30 at the time. And they took the company public. Uh, and it was such an awesome experience. They just seemed to really love what they did, succeeded. Uh, and I thought, I want to do this. So I uh, decided to move out to Silicon Valley. I had some friends who were actually law student colleagues looking for somebody to do kind of a mixed sales, biz dev, legal role. And so that's how it started for me. Uh, it was more about the passion for entrepreneurship and technology um, and I hadn't looked back since. <laughs> what uh, what the heck does a sales BD legal role look like? Well, it wasn't meant to be a legal role. It was really more about business development. But when they start talking to law firms about the fees, then all of a sudden I found myself drafting more and more contracts and handling NDAs. And uh, so it, it was at least 15, 20% of my time still. That's why I, I say that. You can't accept. Uh, you can't get rid of that JD. I guess even as far as you, you try to get out of it, they're always gonna the, the the lawyer. The people that need lawyers will always come back. I guess. What did uh, being a lawyer? How did being a lawyer impact being a CEO at all, or did it? Yeah, I mean, you know, if anything, it just makes you be a little bit more careful. Um, you know, you have to move things fast when you're a startup. You can't focus on every single detail, but. Um, NDAs, you you know, you you spend five minutes on. I mean, you don't have much to lose when you're a startup. Um, I mean, you know, a, a two three person company versus bigger companies. So it made me work quicker. Um, I wouldn't spend as much time on certain things, and then more important documents like when you go to raise money and you want to make sure you have your your preferences down right. And uh, uh, that's where it really came in in handy. Because uh, you want to focus on those, understand them, not have to rely on a third party. So it's it's a great background. It's a good foundation for any entrepreneur because at any one week we're signing something, and uh, it's good to know eh, this isn't that important, or I really need to dig into this and spend some time. I apologize for for staying on the legal side. I guess we don't have too many lawyers uh, or ex lawyers that that come on. Any legal recommendations for marketing firms that are just getting started? Um, well, That's one thing you know, one thing that 
you you know you should really look at um uh you know it's worth checking your 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 name your brand make sure that you uh you trademark if you have a unique brand that's that's um significant to your business meaning it's a it's a trademark that sounds like what you do for a marketing agency um that stuff will will become important as you grow and um you don't want similar types of services because agencies pop up and disappear uh weekly and you want to make sure that there's no confusion between you and maybe what somebody else might be doing on the west coast um and the other thing it was really with your employees to make sure that you um you know you have decent uh contractor agreements between you and your employees to establish what you want them to do. Um, and also if they leave, which unfortunately with this, uh, the uh, uh, labor market happens often. Mm. And uh, I certainly do not like to train people and then have them go and work for a direct competitor. So um, I usually uh, have people sign something that, you know, with there's a territorial restriction to be competing with what we do after we finish training them. Perfect. Uh, and then, okay, into uh, more exciting grounds. You started a company called TuneIn, I saw on your LinkedIn. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so that was a passion uh, project. I, I was working at a company called Creative Labs, which made uh, MP3 players and speakers. And um, this guy came in and said, hey, I'm thinking of starting this company and I want you to distribute my service. And I said, what's the service? He goes, well, I haven't built it yet, but uh, more and more stations and podcasts like this are, are available. And there's more, more and more um, um, tr traditional uh, radio stations streaming. I want to build something that is a guide. So it's the TV guide was really the way we started for streaming radio. And every month it went from, 4,000 to 6,000, the next month, six to eight. And we we're well over 100,000 stations um, that were streaming. And you could type in jazz and it would pull up a list of uh, stations that uh, were either local, um, uh, by country, by city, or international that you could stream jazz stations. Um, it also had the ability because you could listen through the tags. Uh, inside the stream to actually type in songs. And if a certain song was playing somewhere in the world, you could tune into that station. Hence, that's why we got the name Tune In, because it was what you wanted, um, when you wanted it. Uh, what it wasn't was a traditional music service where you had every album and every song at your disposal. Um, just the opposite. It was really more about preserving and making radio relevant because you can now find and discover radio. Um, and we can now bring more users that don't necessarily have to lead, live within your antenna range to your platform. So it was, uh, uh, it took time. Uh, I joined and we basically built the company to, um, uh, to be a, a service for devices. So like Logitech Squeezebox. Sono systems. Those were like our first customers. Um, do you remember when it was a big fad to have a picture frame 
and you could plug in and all of your pictures would stream through picture frames. Yeah, without a doubt. Those are devices Then people always wanted music. And so we used to have a bunch of deals where we were the music provider for those because it was simple. And so uh, it was tough. Like there weren't a lot of those devices sold where it became a, a, a big business and you had to charge like a license fee. Um, and then right around the same time, the Apple's App Store was, was uh, coming together, launched, and we pivoted and created an app. Uh, and quickly at one point, I have a screenshot. We were the number one music app for like three months, which was, which was awesome because we were actually competing against Pandora at the time. And so it just led from being an app to then we were in vehicles. You know, if anybody that's listening has a Tesla, you'll see TuneIn is built into every Tesla sold. Uh, every Sono system, it's one of the default uh, options um, to have uh, 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 on your, your Sonos device. So it got it got bigger that way. Um, the one the one uh, messy thing, of course, that that you'll ask next is how do you make money? And that's, that was the hard part is because, uh, you needed to be able to have an advertising model to supplement the business. Because if you have a station in Newton, Massachusetts, and it's got 10,000 people listening to it in California, it's got to have some sophistication to say, Hey, get rid of that, that local ad and put in an ad that's either national or relevant to, to the person in California. So we solved all that, that plumbing and, work and it, it was uh, it was fun it was really fun i i got to work with tesla i got to work with sonos we we you know got to do some cool deals with with some cool companies how did you go from tune in so from that job to eventually your marketing firm so that was really more logistics and family um we were living in california uh wife didn't want to uh start a family out there because our family was here and trying to you know, be an executive at, at a company across the, the coast was a pain. So uh, I decided to solve another problem, which is what gave birth to the, the marketing company, which was me trying to solve something that I was always frustrated with for tech startups was how do you market yourself without having to go and hire agencies? And what tools can help in an automated way, you know, small, young companies start to generate leads? Um, and we learn about what the basics are buying buyer personas, reaching them, reaching them where they want, reaching them professionally. So it's not, you know, in a spam, uh, feeling spammy. And that was something I always thought we missed when we were at, uh, TuneIn. Everything was more referral. It was going to conferences. There's other ways. And, and I always thought that there was a, a product out there that would help for B2B companies do a better job of, of reaching targeted uh, buyers. And that's where uh, Liebberg started. Did you have any traditional market? I know you mentioned, we've mentioned legal business development, but did you have any marketing experience, whether schooling or anything before starting the firm? Well, I never wore a marketing hat like as a title, but I, I have a, an MBA. Um, you know, when you're running companies, you're, you're, you're trying to be good at a, a, a little bit at everything, you know, mm -hmm. and my weakness is, is engineering. I mean, that's like, if I, if I don't have a key 
person running an engineering team, I'm doomed. But you're always working with marketing teams. They're they're hand in hand with your sales and business development team, and you have to be on the same page. What what what's hard is, do you know what you're doing? Are you adding value? Are you uh, creating brand recognition? You know, to me, I always found it really challenging to measure marketing. Like, how, am I really getting the ten thousand dollar retainer I'm paying you a month? The value from that, um, and I wanted to change that because I know there's different value when it comes to marketing. Like, big companies need brand awareness, but small companies don't. They need they need clients or they need investors. So, you know, at least what we built measurable. And if, you know, we're not driving value and driving customers and sales for people, I don't expect them to stay and keep paying. But when I was at TuneIn, I felt like I kept paying people to do things. Um, you know, we started the company off. It was, it was called Radio Time. And I had always thought that was a horrible brand. And, uh, and it was us internally that figured out, let's change it to tune in. And we made a big shift on our own, right? But we had paid people to advise us with different names and, and it really ended up being <laughs> us to do it. Uh, I mean, I got to give you guys credit then, uh, because I've, I've been in charge of naming one company and was involved in another. And it sounds so silly and so small and so stupid, but it turned out to be like one of the hardest things, uh, at least coming up with a good name, I guess you can always back into like a whatever name, but uh, yeah. TuneIn is pretty darn good. Um, taking a step back, do you mind just telling us a little bit more about your firm? Yeah, Leadbird. So, you know, Leadbird really uh, had a strong data uh, focus, and we wanted to be able to narrow a segment. Ours was uh, initially new businesses, and from there, we um, we saw more and more demand to having uh, uh, interaction with with um, uh, LinkedIn. So we do have, uh, and we still do have some clients where they're focused on reaching new businesses. Uh, that was some infrastructure we bought to produce a new business uh, file. And, uh, and uh, when a new business opens, there's certain services that, that want to get in front of them to sell something tied to a, a, a young business. Um, that led me to, to um, search for ways of getting in front of more uh, companies, which weren't just tied to new businesses, which was in LinkedIn. And there's a, a handful of uh, browser-based plugins where they'll let you send uh, uh, automated messages from LinkedIn, but I found them to be clumsy. And uh, so the one business led us to, to, to building a platform where you could uh, in the platform itself set up um, uh, campaigns and the campaigns operated in, in, in with LinkedIn in order to send messages that we would help write um, that were hyper-targeted to reach uh, people who should have an interest in, in a product or a service. Um, if you don't, then it's spam. And this makes it easy in order to, to, to get in front of people. And we just make sure we do our homework with each client that it's, it's actually the right person that they want to hear from you. And if you do all those things right, you know, you're still looking at 20% of the people are going to engage with you. So the platform is meant to take away from the one-off response and 
it gets you into writing campaigns where you can have multiple campaigns interacting with your LinkedIn seat, essentially, and doing outreach. And so the sales or the, 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 the business development person logs in, they look at the engagement, and then they start following up and trying to move it to uh, book meetings. Or we'll do it for you. We have uh, two different models where we have a fulfillment side or a, a do-it-yourself side. And so that is uh, cold, right? These are cold uh, leads, they're prospects. And then, um, you know, we're also a, a, a gold-tier certified HubSpot uh, partner. And the next question is, hey, I've got all these, these prospects, what do I do with them? And then that leads into, well, we could, we could manage and work with you on nurturing them now in, in HubSpot. Uh, we've been working with them for for five years, and um, uh, it really the two parts of the business. They don't have to be bundled, but if people don't have a CRM, um, we have a direct integration where it pushes the leads into HubSpot, and then you know we then do your traditional inbound marketing for for clients, content marketing, um, you know, nurturing to move them from engaged leads to to book meetings. So really, like top to bottom funnel. Um, I usually don't ask about any specific tactics, but do you have any kind of like best practices for LinkedIn, whether it's messaging, anything like that, that you can quickly share? Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, you, if you scroll through LinkedIn, everybody thinks that they've got some, um, updated, refreshed, uh, 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 book that this is what works. This is, it's new and revolutionary. LinkedIn's changed and this is the new way to do it for 2022, now 2023. And what's happened with LinkedIn is just like email and just like your, your mobile phone, you don't even answer it anymore if you don't recognize a number. You don't even open emails if they find their way into promotion or junk. Um, you have to do your homework up front. You have to look at who you're targeting and that's your data. And if you're not reaching the right people, then you're wasting their time and, and your time. So we spend a lot of time up front. We ask questions. We produce a list of targets. And yeah, it's it's manual, right? You can't automate that. But if you go through your list of 500 or 1,000 um, targets and there are people in there with the wrong title, get rid of them. And then let's go back through the list. Are these all people who should be interested in your product? And, and don't drink the Kool-Aid. Like, Ask yourself, really, are they really interested? Because if you're reaching out to the wrong people based on territory, seniority, what you, you, they're not going to engage with you, or worse, they do, and they have no interest in buying your products. So when we're done with that phase, then we have to write copy with them. And everyone thinks they know how to do it, but um, just ask yourself how often you respond to something if it's not personal or really targeted to solving a problem. And uh, that's our entire focus. The platform then will automate it to let it work while you're doing other things. But it only works for us if we have uh, industries that we know are B2B. And even B2B industries, not all of them work. There are certain industries that we just, it, it, they're just too commoditized to work for LinkedIn. But the more specific, uh, the better. If you're trying to target neuropsychologists that are working in universities 
in the Midwest. We could do a really good job of finding them. And guess what? They're not getting spammed a lot. And if you have something targeted, like a new methodology or service or something, they'll, they'll engage with you. Yeah, you know what, just to extend that really quick, um, and, and the idea of, you know, talking to people who are probably not going to be even interested, I used to, I've been to a few conferences, both as the attendee and, and the, uh, and with the booth. And I used to go in with the mentality, especially when I had a booth that like, I'm just going to get as many contact people, business cards as possible. Uh, and you know, my KPI was just how many people can I fill in, in my spreadsheet? Um, and honestly, all you end up doing, and I used to jump in front of people. I would, I would be ridiculous, um, which worked if my KPI was getting as many contacts as possible, but it didn't lead to closed business. And, and it actually just led to a lot of wasted time emailing, following up on everything. So, um, you know, similar thing, I think is what you're saying, but I can now also extend that to, to conferences as well. Yeah. Um, going back to the business, how do you guys get your first customer? How did you guys get your first customer? Yeah. So we, we worked actually in an accelerator. Um, we have uh, an office in, um, Newark venture partners, and there were a lot of, uh, startups that needed help. So it was, it was a good fit for us because it was, um, nearby and we've extended to other accelerators now. Um, it, it's, it's great because you have a steady stream of, of companies. Um, but it's a double-edged sword because a lot of them aren't around in a, a couple of years. So, um, they all need the same thing. They, they need to get uh, paying customers. They need to get a key uh, 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 client so they can go raise money. And so we do a lot of, a lot of work with um, uh, startups to uh, define you know, their, their, their buyers and make sure they're on track to, to getting to the next level. That was new. Uh, I, I do normally ask first customer a question on, on most episodes um, and nine times out of 10, it's, it's, you know, we either referral or we were working with the person in the past. Um, so very interesting. I used to work at a, at a co-working space and similar to an accelerator, I guess, but I can't tell you how many, how much business got done between just businesses within, um, the co-working space. And I think it's similar with the accelerator. Um, my f- second startup that I got involved with, I met because my first startup was in an accelerator with my second. So to your point, the networking um, that can happen is just incredible with accelerators and co-working spaces and, and everything like that. Um, maybe that's also how you got your second customer, but I guess I'll, I'll change the question a little bit because I do think that the second customer or at least the second round of customers is actually even more important than, than the first. So beyond the customers that you got through the accelerator, can you remember how you got like your second customer or your, your first customer outside of the accelerator? Yeah, I mean, then the referrals. Like, if you if you do a good job, um, you start to. They're always your best customers. Um, is having the people who you've succeeded with refer you to people who need help, and that's where the second and the third, um, it, it, particularly on the inbound marketing side, where we're inside of HubSpot and we're you know setting up sequences and and building automation for them. We're we're on the on the other product side on the the uh, lead bird um, lead generation side. That is, um, uh, we get less referrals, and that's more heavy lifting, right? We have to get out. We have to cut through all the crap out there of every single person trying to book meetings and 
grow their, triple their revenue, um, uh, uh, increase their sales, whatever messages that they're using, clouding, you know, that they're trying to do what small companies can't through lead gen. That part's been uh, more difficult to scale because if, you know, uh, 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 companies don't have a reason to trust you unless they, they've worked with you. So, um, there's, there's a, you know, our service is a smaller price tag and we want people to come on the platform and stay for a year, right? That is constantly sending out connection requests, engaging, and, uh, you have to constantly feed it. There's always people coming in. There's always people leaving and it's, it's hard. If you were to try to name brand names like 10 lead gen companies, most people don't. But at any point in time, you've got 50 emails in your inbox from them. So that that part has been a unique challenge in itself. Is there Are there any ways that you build trust before you work with someone? Well, if they're not referrals, no. You demo, you you come across competent. Exactly what I said to you beforehand is um, we've say no to some clients because I'm not going to take your money. If in a month I know I'm not going to get the results because I've done it already with three other companies, similar situated as you. Um, so we do a little bit of filtering up front, but a lot of times there's companies that, that come along and uh, I'm not sure if it's going to work. And so you explain your methodology and you uh, walk them through, you set it up, you do all the right things, and you, uh, uh, you, know, you teach them as, as best you can how to engage because everybody wants a book meeting. Like, just, here, just take my link, put it in. All right, I know that's what you want, but you know, think of yourself sitting at a, a, at a bar and you talk to somebody. What makes it seem more authentic? It's because they don't think you're trying to sell them something. And you need to come across as you're trying to solve a problem for them. And you just happen to have product A or service B, and it might help. And there's, a, there's an art to that, but it takes some time to get to that. And, and um, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you got to trust us based on demos and our methodology. There are referrals too, but it doesn't matter. If I refer something to you, Josh, and then I start you start using it and it doesn't work, it's, it's going to get you to the same place. I think especially the first part is so important um, because I've also done a lot of building sequences and lead gen and all of that kind of stuff. And I've done it for multiple industries and, you know, it's, it's always, I'm always using somewhat similar tactics that I have seen work in, in some spaces. And sometimes those tactics just don't work in a specific industry. And sometimes, you know, and sometimes you have no idea why, um, I wish I was smart enough to maybe turn a client or two down knowing that I've already done it. And, and in my mind, I'm like, Oh, I, th- I think it's just me, you know, like, I think I can keep pushing and make it work. And sometimes it doesn't, I've had 15, I, my last sequence just had a 15% response rate, which is blowing my mind right now. Um, but yeah. you know, I can't get a 1% response rate on in another sequence to a completely different industry. Um, so I, 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 Really glad you mentioned that because I, I think, you know, obviously you think that lead gen and this type of sequencing should work for everyone. And, and honestly, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, when it does, it, it really does, though. So, well, um, case in point, I, you have to be really targeted and, and um, effective in order to get me to respond to something 
and you reached me, right? I didn't know you beforehand, but you reached me. I was the right person. This is a, 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 the right opportunity. And we engaged that way, right? It was a, it was a, a cold outreach. So you're doing something right. You're providing a service. I have a need and uh, it, it, it's well done. Now, I agree with you. If you started going after fish canneries with the same type of outreach, it may not perform as well. Let's extend that. Let's keep extending that. Uh, we are might even get value well beyond just this cold outreach and everything. We might, uh, I know I'm throwing two other intros over to you and hopefully this will continue. So even just on the networking front, um, you know, you never know where, where it can lead. So uh, yeah. Uh, a few questions that I tend to ask at the end. First is, uh, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Um, I, I, I re- re- repeat, uh, uh, well, first I would say try, uh, and I'm guilty of failing at it initially, try to focus, try to target, you know, like I, I'd love to just say, I focus on financial services companies doing business in the East Coast with revenue between five million and ten million that have six employees. <laughs> like that would be amazing to be able to focus. Instead, you know, we, we've kind of got a niche where we're working with a lot of younger companies, and it's great as they grow up. But I always admire marketing companies who are, are like they just do commercial insurance or they just do uh, agriculture, right? I mean, because you get better and better at uh, knowing the industry, knowing to even advise on conferences and the material, and you start to get to know the companies. So I I think that it's a, um, you know, it's important because there's plenty of business, even if you focus on a certain vertical. Um, Ours, you know, it's, it's wide as far as uh, uh, horizontally, but we tend to work with, you know, um, smaller, smaller companies, not fortune thousand companies, not fortune 5,000 companies to, to my detriment, right? They're more stable, but uh, it's where we started to scale. We started to show we can help these smaller companies at, at affordable packages. And then we've grown now and we know what everybody needs. They may be a, fi- a fintech or they, they might be a marketing tech company, but we know there's a formula to get them to the next level. Um, the second thing I would say is, uh, you know, really, you, you have to be constantly measuring yourself um, because I believe the rules constantly change. What worked with SEO this month might be different in three months from now. What works for email? Remember, that was your primary way of, of lead gen was email. Now, it, it's really challenging um, to get an effective email in, get it opened and read. Uh, calling. I mean, that was always one of the arrows in everybody's quiver was to do cold calling. And I just cannot imagine anybody that's got the time anymore to just randomly pick up a phone and and, and be sold to at least the people we're, we're trying to reach, right? I would caveat that. So uh, things are always changing. Is text messaging the most effective way today? Um, and uh, is uh, uh, is social going to remain as influential as they as they are in, in six months or a year? So that's one of the things I love about this is 
if you've been doing this for 20 years, I don't think you're going to be any better than the person who started three or four years ago. One of my favorite phrases is, uh, what got me here won't get me there. Um, so I think that, yeah. I, I don't know who says that. I, I don't know if that's you. Uh, whatever. I'll find the quote if it's a quote. Yeah. Um, are you guys looking to hire any positions right now? Yeah. We are looking for a, uh, a HubSpot specialist because that part of our business is growing and it's, it takes, uh, you know, more, it's more labor um, and, and sales. Um, you know, someone that can start jumping in demo and helping us sell the, the Leadbird uh, platform. So those are the two key uh, roles that we're ha- having. And I would say getting somebody who's like passionate about marketing likes working with a lot of different companies and people uh, because you have to like that um, uh, for, for longevity. And last question and my favorite question, any book or podcast recommendations that can be business, marketing, fiction, anything? Um, the, well, I'm reading a book now cause I, I, I subscribe to Jay Schwendelson's, uh, email conference it's called guru and he always sends us books uh of marketing material and this was a pretty good book called two weeks notice um it's about quitting your job and making more uh uh, you know money from taking that leap and becoming an entrepreneur amy uh, porterfield so i just started this one it's it is pretty good so timely question is that uh, is that leading to your next uh, position or learning other lessons in there? No, um, I mean, I, I unfortunately I did that twenty years ago. That's right. <laughs> when I stopped practicing law. <laughs> exactly. Um, as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to uh, say how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Yeah, I. Uh, our, our domain is uh, leadbird.com. Um, we don't do everything in the realm of marketing, but we're really a lead generation and inbound marketing um, uh, company. And we uh, can, can do just lead gen and hand off uh, leads that are uh, delivered to your, your CRM, or we can take you all the way through to um, managing, setting up your CRM, and creating content to to help uh, improve your awareness. Uh, we th- do SEO as well as um, you know email marketing as well. And we're you know East Coast based, even though that matters almost nothing now because my clients are all across the country. And uh, yeah, we're growing. We're uh, 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 always looking to take on new B two B customers. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for being on the show. And for those of you who've learned something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality of guests. Uh, And as always, thank you for listening. Carl, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is great. Yeah, thank you, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.